Hey, this is Tim McCurdy, and welcome to Vinepair's Cocktail College, a weekly deep dive into classic cocktails that goes beyond the recipe with America's best bartenders. There's no denying that coffee cocktails and coffee in general are hot right now. And having already covered the classic Irish coffee, along with the juggernaut that is the espresso martini, it's time to turn our attention to another Java Spike concoction, the Carajillo. Depending on your approach, this two-ingredient shaken sip is the simplest of them all, certainly less time-consuming than the espresso martini, which is a good thing for today's guest, Tito Pin Perez, in a Mexico City bar, Rio, where he works as creative director and typically serves 40 to 50 Carajillos at the end of each night. As that suggests, the Carajillo comfortably falls into the digestif or dessert category of cocktails, thanks in large part to its signature ingredient, Liqueur 43, which we will, of course, explore in great detail today. We'll also look at the importance of pulling fresh espressos for cocktails rather than trying to, say, batch them ahead of service, and why you should always shake aggressively over so-called chunk ice. Listener, it's courage, coffee, and the art of shaking, and it's all right here on the Cocktail College Podcast. It's an all virtual affair here today at Cocktail College, and we're joined by the wonderful Tito Pimperez. Tito, welcome. Where are you joining us from today? Hello, hello. Thank you so much for having me. I am actually currently uh, living and working in Mexico City. Fantastic. And I, I, I'm coming at the listeners here today from Puerto Rico. This isn't where I'm normally based, the studio in New York, but um, we, we've escaped for sunnier climes today for this recording. And, you know, I'm excited to get into today's drink, the Carajillo. Um, Tito, off the bat, for those who aren't aware of it, can you give us just a, a highlight? What's the elevator pitch for this drink? What kind of drink are we going to be exploring today? So the Carajillo cocktail is basically a digestive cocktail or dessert cocktail, uh, basically usually uh, ordered at the end of the night, uh, right towards like it will be the um, it'll be the the last cocktail of the night, or usually sometimes depending on on the mood of the night is it's a it's a pick me up because you you're gonna keep going and the night isn't done yet. Mm-hmm. And you know I think it's great that we're covering this one today because you know elephant in the room here. The espresso martini is an absolute monster right now. People are loving it. We're seeing espresso martini machines, RTDs. You can't go to a bar, at least in New York City, without seeing a round of those flying out and then subsequent rounds. So coffee cocktails are hot right now. Um, Has that been your experience as well in bars recently? Uh, Yeah, for sure. I mean, actually, coffee in general, you know, coffee in general has been um, modifying the palate throughout the world. And right now we have that craze you know that amaro um, that amaro that bitter flavor craze right now happening in mexico so uh yeah everything from uh, from bitter spirits uh bitter liqueurs uh, amargo coffees uh, amargo coffee cocktails everything everything's hot right now it's really interesting right that that kind of rise i think like you said this has been happening for a long time right i think like it's all intertwined you can look at the popularity of stuff like Campari and the Negroni and, you know, like those kind of cocktails and probably tie it to that rise of people going for more like European style coffee when they're drinking it, right? Like espressos, maybe without a sweetener, maybe without milk. So yeah, interesting to see that trend happening. Yep. And, and, and it's, uh, it's really cool. It, it, it definitely keeps us busy at the end of the night. You know, the, the last round, the last call is usually about 40 to 50 uh, Carajillos going out. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so... 
spoiler alert here, this is this is a two-ingredient cocktail, right? So in, in its preparation, can we expect that that is maybe a lot more uh, straightforward for you guys to knock out at the end of the night than, say, if you got hit with 40 espresso martinis? Not that that's the only other coffee cocktail, but you know what I mean. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. It's, it makes it a, a lot more streamlined and um, a lot more uh, easier to execute, for sure. And so what about the history of this drink? What can you tell us? Is this one that has kind of a storied past? Uh, can you share anything a little bit more about like the name of this as well? A lot of our listeners probably won't be Spanish speakers who so might not have a reference there for that. Is it a name with meaning? What can you tell us about the, yeah, like the history and the background of this drink? So basically, uh, there are two stories behind this cocktail, uh, uh, behind the story of the, of the drink. So basically, um, one of them is back when um, Cuba was part of the Spanish uh, was a, a Spanish province. And the soldiers there, the troops there, would actually uh, would drink a shot of uh, espresso with uh, some rum to to, to gain uh, coraje, which is uh, which translates to courage. Yeah, so they would take that before going off to battle to to get some courage, and um, and then from from that word uh, coraje, we get the the derivative uh, carajillo. Mm-hmm. And then the second one being, um, again, in Spain, in Barcelona, um, I guess slave owners would give a shot of espresso with brandy uh, to the slaves to, to make them happy and give them energy for, for, for long days of work. So we got, we got those two stories. And I guess the, the reason why uh, we consume it is, as, as, is, you know, is for the same purposes, you know, to, today, you know, to gain courage. Uh, to keep going through the night and uh, to basically is a, a pick me up. Mm-hmm. And you know, mentioned earlier this this being kind of a two ingredient drink, one being espresso or, or, or coffee. We'll get into kind of your preferences or your approach later. But the other, this is one of kind of those non negotiable cocktails, right? That has one yeah. ingredient that has an ingredient from one brand, and you can't really substitute it. It's Liquor 43. We've definitely not covered that before in this show. So what can you tell us about that? And is that also a product that has its kind of roots in Spain? Or is that something that emerges later? Because, you know, you mentioned before kind of rum and brandy. Um, but where does Liquor 43 tie into all of this? So basically, Liquor 43 is is a liquor from Spain as well. And then the 43 comes from uh, the 43 secret ingredients that, that it has. And basically, they're they're taking um, from a two thousand year old um, recipe, you know, that that the Romans would, would use, and they just basically perfected it. Uh, added some uh, Mediterranean um, citruses, some spices, um, and basically, you know, we get what liquor forty three is today, which is basically one of the fastest emerging um, uh, liquor, like premium liquors, right now in the throughout the world, you know, because coffee's hot right now, and and people are starting to love the, uh, or, you know, want some more uh, coffee cocktails. Mm-hmm. And what about that flavor profile for, for folks that haven't tasted it? Um, where are we coming in? Because, yeah, you mentioned, you know, like it's a liquor. It's got, you know, 43 botanicals, which is a lot. Um, where, where are we coming in? Is there, is there a sweetness to this too? Does it taste more on like the aged spirits end of the spectrum or, or unaged? Like where does that profile lie? So it's definitely sweet. It's definitely a, a sweet liqueur. Um, and it has a lot of uh, different notes of, of, uh, of anise, some um, definitely a lot of floral notes as well, a lot of citrus notes. But it, the most notable uh, would be like anise and some some cinnamon, you know, some some clove. But it's a really nice uh, rounded like uh, liqueur. You know, it's mm-hmm. you know sweet, bitter, a, a little uh, a little tangy, but super delicious. Nice. And so it sounds like yeah, definitely not one of those ones. Where it's like, oh, God, I don't have a bottle of liquor 43 on hand. Like, I'm going to, you know, I'll just sub in this other 
thing for it. Like, yeah, you can probably make this drink with something else, but then it kind of ceases to be a carajillo. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's one of the things where it has to be liquor 43. And so this is kind of feels like a simple drink to execute or to approach, uh, especially just in terms of like some of the stuff we normally get into here. Are you seeing bars or is this a drink that you yourself have kind of adapted that you've liked to tweak? I mean, we'll get into maybe the more classic spec a little bit later, but uh, is this something you're seeing is like people kind of really grabbing onto this drink and and giving their interpretation of it? Oh, for sure, for sure. So definitely right now in the in the Mexican market, there's a rise in Mexican spirits and Mexican um, products. So definitely we're using some really cool high-end uh, Mexican uh, uh, coffee beans, you know, to make our espressos. And um, of course, you know, you have the bars that have the mezcal and, and, the, and the sotos. But what you're really seeing right now is um, really cool twists on different types of, of, of the coffees used for the cocktail. So um, over here in Mexico, we have a uh, café de olla. You know, so people are making espresso martinis with Café de Olla wow. and Liquor 43, and they're adding, um, you know, some other spirits in there as well. So, yeah, you're starting to see a lot of, um, every bar probably has one or two different types of carajillos in them, yeah? Mm-hmm. And can you share a little bit more with us today about that Café de Olla? Um, I was in Mexico recently, had it for the first time for breakfast one day, and I was like, oh my God, this is this is fantastic. So can you share a little bit of info on that and, and yeah, maybe the preparation of that too for folks? Yeah, for sure. So Café de Olla is a super traditional like uh, st- uh, coffee style uh, coffee. Um, and basically it's um, it's translates to uh, basically coffee inside of a inside of like of, of a clay receptacle. So they make it in, in these nice big olla pots and uh, they make from uh, uh, from clay and it actually adds a lot of flavor. You know, like if you don't make it inside of the clay, it doesn't taste the same. And basically it's a, it's a sweet coffee. Um, they sweeten it with, uh, panela, uh, which is, a like Mexican brown, brown sugar. Um, a lot of citrus peels and basically, and basically some coffee. And it's one of the best things. It's, it's a lot less intense and in, in, in the coffee flavors and in the caffeine that it has, but it has a lot more, a lot more, um, uh, like spicy and, and, and citrus notes in, in, in the coffee. Mm-hmm. And when folks are making that and, uh, you know, relevant to what you were saying earlier there about like using kind of Mexican coffee beans, um, adopting those in the bar. But traditionally, if folks are making that cafe de olla, they kind of go in for more maybe like the the powdered coffee you get normally that, you, you know, like you might make big pictures of or whatever versus, I don't know, something that's going through an espresso machine. No, definitely, definitely powdered coffee. Definitely powdered coffee, which is why it's not so, so strong mm-hmm. uh, in, in, in the, in, in, in the caffeine, but it's, um, it's, part of the culture you know it's it, it's it's been around forever and it's what they've been using for for a really long time so yeah but i mean there are yeah. there are there are bars now nowadays that are making like you know um cafe de olla styled espressos and um yeah and or or cafe de olla style like cold brews so mm-hmm. yeah it's it, it's been it's been evolving that's super interesting can you tell me then for for this drink for the carajillo are you pulling espressos like what yeah let's let's dive into coffee here because liquor 43 beyond it being like this incredible product and you've gone into the background a bit like there's really not that much more we can say i think other than i think the abv is what 31 percent. 31 percent. yeah so it lies somewhere in that kind of like not low as a liqueur like a aperol or something but not like a foolproof spirit over here in the u.s yeah um but coffee so in your programs 
Have you always run with like espresso machines? What kind of consideration is that for the bar? Because I know those things can be kind of temperamental, require a lot of upkeep and, you know, some knowledge to use them too. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, in every, in every restaurant now or restaurant bar, you'll definitely find an espresso machine, you know, no matter where you go. Um, you know, the quality uh, differs in uh, between all of them, but mostly everyone is uh, has a, an espresso machine ready to go, you know, because here the, the people are demanding uh, fresh espresso shots with their carajillos. So, you know, you don't really have that time to, or, or your, people are not asking for things that are, are pre-batched. And um, and they they could tell the difference, you know, from a, from a, a fresh shot of espresso than for something that you had like batched earlier in the day. So this is not something where you can be like, oh look, we're you know we're looking ahead to the end of the night, we're going to be hit with forty carajillos. Like let's let's pull off forty shots of espresso, let's get them down there in the fridge, chilling, so they're ready to go, and we can just uh, jigger those and and shake away. This is uh, this is something you got to do fresh. Yeah, yeah, for sure, definitely something fresh, um, and. I guess you could tell, you could tell a little bit like the acidity changes um, after a while of, of being in stored in, in the cold. And uh, yeah, and we basically try to try to make it as fresh as possible and as fast as possible. <laughs> <laughs> and what about, I've always thought about this. I've never like actively stood over watching someone make an espresso martini. And to be honest with you, I don't know whether I've ever ordered one myself, but when it comes to uh, pulling those shots and then, yeah, I think I maybe mentioned there this is a shaken drink. So how do you factor in dilution and ice and temperature for this? Because um, that's something I would be worried about, you know, pouring that fresh shot of espresso over the ice. Like, do you get a lot of dilution real quick there? What's the approach? So basically the, the ice is basically the, the most important part of this uh, of this equation. And in Mexico, we have, we have um, the luck to have really, really good ice. We actually have better ice in the States, you know, and that's one of the oh, first really? things that, that caught my attention. Yeah. So we got better uh, ice than, you know, than the, you know, than the cold draft machines that are in the States because they're a lot more smaller. They're, uh, I think, one by ones. And over here we have like huge, ch- we, we call it chunk ice over here. You know, they're really cool, like chunks of ice that we use to, to shake. So those those are super hard to um, to dilute really fast. So basically every coffee, like we're not really concerned with dilution. We just want to make sure that the, that the foam is is uh, nice and frothy, you know? And that chunk ice, as you were describing it there, is that stuff that bars are making themselves or a supplier or, or even is that coming from a machine? No, suppliers, suppliers. Yeah, yeah suppliers. Because um, right now um, we can't get, we cannot find or, or can't get like really, really good um, uh, ice machines. So and it's, it's a lot more cheaper to buy a a 10 pound bag of, of, of chunk ice than, mm-hmm. than to have a, a fully running um, ice machines and they break down over here because with the heat and everything it's really really hot and uh, maintenance and services aren't that aren't that quick are, are like in the states you know so we just prefer to to just buy uh, I think twenty to forty bags every two days and we're good with that yeah and that chunk ice is that going to be clear as well like is that offcuts from maybe people making like selling clear ice to bars or is it's just like larger cubes that are cut down that people are using because obviously for shaking you're really not fussed or bothered about the the consistency or what the ice looks like right it's just more of a i was just curious about that no no so basically uh these are actual companies that have these giant ice machines that make about a thousand pounds of ice uh per day and basically they have like multiple of those machines and um and yeah so it's just a, a company with 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 a really 
with a really huge uh, specialty ice uh, I, I, ice maker. Mm-hmm. Yep. And if we can take a little detour here for a second, because this is something that we've covered at VinePair before. Um, it's been over five years since I was last in, in Mexico City, but I remember, you know, visiting some amazing bars there then. But it really feels like there's this this groundswell at the moment in Mexico City happening where you have a lot of creativity. It feels like there's a lot of collaboration going over there too and like really getting the attention of, of you know, a lot of these awards bodies and things like that. Like, what does that feel like at the moment? And and yeah, what is it like to be kind of a part of that uh, that movement that's happening there? You know, it's something that I saw. I saw that uh, in 2019 when I was still living in the States. Um, I was born in Ecuador, but I was raised in New York. And um, basically, I saw that there was like a second age, uh, second revolution happening, uh, a, a second cocktail, a, a third, because we already had a second one. So there's a third like cocktail revolution happening. And the eye of the hurricane is Mexico, you know, and it, and it happened because, you know, during pandemic, a, a lot of a lot of countries were shut down. A lot of countries weren't doing anything. And Basically, Mexico was the only country, basically just the only country doing activations during during pandemic, you know, and they were still trying to kind of like keep uh, keep the energy going. And basically with that, you had a, you had a, a lot of, um, you know, a lot of bartenders from uh, other countries come and, and, and be part of that. And basically what, what would happen is people would just come here and fall in love with Mexico, fall in love with the ingredients, with with everything that's here, you know? And they basically, they just start fell in love so much that they started coming over here to live. And they brought with them, you know, their talent, their experience, their their palates. And yeah, so now we're, we have this boom of just like uh, a lot of international bartenders coming in with with just uh, with a lot of skills, with a lot of experience. And, and they're, they're hungry to just like, you know, to just just keep pushing the industry forward. Mm-hmm. And one thing I've noticed from New York, kind of looking toward Mexico City, is just seeing a lot of both New York's top bar talent, but top bar talent from around the world seem to be doing pop-ups down there at different bars in Mexico City. Is that stuff you've done before in the past? And can you chat a little bit maybe about just the importance of doing those kind of pop-ups? Because it seems like these days, and again, this is something we've covered on VinePair a little bit too as well, is that like the the, the pop-up or the bar takeover feels like this kind of rite of passage now in the industry. And if you want to, like, if your goal is appearing on these certain lists or whatnot, like that's kind of a box you got to tick to get there. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's 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 been a thing for for a while now, but now that now the world is, is starting to see it, you know, like where before certain people knew how to move and certain people made made moves, you know, and I guess they they were pioneers and they paved the way to for for people to understand that, you know, it's not just about having a really good program and having having a really good bar and having a really good team, but it's about you know, having the world see your team and having the, the, the world taste, taste your cocktails, you know, and, and be interested in something that, that you're doing in your country. So the takeovers are the best, are the best way to, to do it, you know, for any bar, for anybody that, 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 that needs or, or that wants to start sharing what they're doing. You know, there are so many unique bars doing so many things and, and, um, with different approaches to, to, to the way they do things, you know, and it's just basically it's, it's knowledge. It's, it's, it's experience that we all love to love to share, you know, love to share. And we love to learn. Mexico is really, really big on that. Um, I think that we have one of the best, um, educational parts in, in, in our program, you know, cause every bar, every bar that comes to our, that, that comes and does a guest, they, um, they always love to, to give, uh, masterclasses, you know, so we're, 
constantly making monster classes. They're constantly being full. Um, and we're constantly just, um, I'm helping, um, the industry grow, you know, um, uh, mm-hmm. as much as we can. And we are, we're also like taking, we have the opportunity to take the way that our mindset, the way that we think, the way that we operate to the world, you know, and kind of like inspire them, you know, cause that's, that's what it's all about. Just inspiring each other, you know, and then you never know what you didn't know until like you had that little spark, uh, until someone yeah. told you something differently. And yeah. That's awesome. I, I love that idea. You know, we go from back in the day, maybe post-prohibition, the way people are learning is basically just books or sitting at bars watching people write. And then you get to that kind of second cocktail renaissance or the, the first cocktail renaissance, maybe the second golden age, if you will, mm-hmm. that people often talk about. And you at that point, you kind of have like early era of the internet and these forums and like doesn't look anything like it does now, but people are sharing recipes online and connecting that way and then yeah it feels like now the most modern way to exchange information is like doing takeovers doing pop-ups and it sounds like that's that's a really amazing kind of resource there and experience to have yeah and it's cool because then you you get to meet these people you know they're not just on a screen they're not just in a book you know you're there talking to them and they're real people then then you you get to find out that they're really cool on top of that and you just start establishing really cool connection and relationships, you know, with, with people mm-hmm. that I, otherwise you would just, just keep, uh, you know, looking at, at the screen. So one of the things as well that you might benefit from being in person is kind of, um, you know, not just getting knowledge of like using this ingredient or this technique, but maybe some of the fundamental things like, you know, something as simple as shaking. I know people have different approaches to shaking. Maybe you meet a different bartender, right? Who's, you know, has that technique. Um, that's obviously pertinent for today's cocktail. And you mentioned earlier, like it's really important to get that foam. So can you talk about your approach to to shaking through the lens of this drink or any cocktail? Because we've had bartenders on here before who like kind of really do geek out about their their approach to something as simple as as shaking or seemingly simple. Yeah, for sure. So basically the, the approach that we take is always a, you know, fresh, fresh espresso. Um, the quality of the espresso is super important in, in, in any kind of heel. You know, I've been to bars where, uh, they have, uh, Nespresso machines and, hmm. um, and it's, you know, I guess there's a, there's a trick to every, to, to every machine, you know, and, and every machine is different, but you know, um, with an espresso, you know, we, we, you know, you, you taste the dilution, like it's, it's super, it's a super watered down espresso, you know, and, and it doesn't, in, in, it doesn't give you a really good, um, outcome at the end, but you know, really fresh espresso, we're constantly changing our, our coffee in, in Rayo. And, um, right now we're using one that's, uh, from Guerrero and it's, um, super floral, uh, n- not, not too acidic. And, um, and it has a lot, so much body. So it, it, it gives, you know, that body kind of like translates into the, into the cocktail. So basically some fresh espresso, uh, ounce and a half, uh, two ounces of, uh, liquor 43, you know, over some, uh, some chunk ice. And we basically shake it, uh, super aggressively for about, cause like the, we, we could take the liberty of shaking it really, really hard, uh, really fast. Um, because you know, it's such a good, good quality ice, you know? Um, but there's also, there's still some bar and restaurants that use, um, really bad quality ice so you know the shaking also depends on that you know with that you need you need to if you're using not so good ice you know or uh ice that you have like in, in the trays at home you know it it would require a hard shake but uh but super fast you know so that way you're not you're not counting on so much dilution yeah and basically yeah we serve it uh serve it over over some fresh ice um 
and yeah, we serve it up. And for garnish, we just will add like a couple of uh, espresso beans on top. And, and what's your preferred glassware for this drink? Uh, definitely old fashions. Old fashioned, old fashioned uh, glass. glass. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice. Um, you mentioned earlier you were talking about the coffee that the current kind of uh, variety that you're using is kind of like floral but not too acidic. I, I'm sure folks have definitely encountered that kind of coffee that you get right either. It tends to feel like you go to a coffee shop and you're you're, you're going to go down to like rich, robust, maybe caramel end of the spectrum, or you get some that are kind of more fruity and acidic. Um, if espresso is made properly, you're not going to get too much. You're going to have bitterness, right? Coffee is mm-hmm. always going to be bitter, but it's not going to be too bitter. Is that also part of the shaking philosophy here, where you're just kind of maybe dialing down that bitterness with a lot of aeration? Is like, is that something you've you've come across? No, yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure. It's it, it's another that, and just like trying to preserve the coffee and, and all the flavors together. But yeah, definitely, there's a art art in the shaking, an art in the shaking. I love it. Um, Tito, do you have any other thoughts about the Carajillo or, you know, things that have come up today in this conversation, this cocktail, maybe something we missed here just in terms of the preparation? Like we said, kind of a simple one, but sometimes the, the biggest crowd pleasers are those those kind of more simple cocktails. Um, I mean, not really. I mean, the Carajillo is going to keep growing in its popularity. It's going to keep changing. It's going to keep evolving. And I'm just excited. I'm just excited to be to be over here and seeing where you know where bartenders are applying new techniques, uh, new ways of, of presenting it, you know, and just uh, excited to see you know how it's going to keep evolving. That's awesome. Well, you know, I said it's been at least five years since I've been out there. I definitely need to make that right and come down there sometime soon because yeah, I'm I'm only hearing great things and I want to see that evolution as you mention it. I want to see that in person. Um, Please do. I will. I will wait for you and with with a beautiful <laughs> karahi over here. <laughs> <laughs> Look forward to it. Uh, before then, though, and, and and for our listeners to get to know yourself a little bit more, kind of as a bartender and a professional, we're going to finish off today's show with our five weekly questions. Okay. And we're going to hit you with question number one first, and that would be: What style or category of spirit typically enjoys the most real estate on your back bar? Um, so I, I would say Mexican spirits in general. So, um, we're a Mexican spirits focused bar where we, uh, kind of celebrate Mexico and tell legends and stories through our cocktails. So, um, basically, um, our whole back bar is just filled with Mexican spirits, you know, and we count with the, uh, original seven, which would be mezcal, tequila, posh, sotol, bacanora, charanda, and raicilla. Um, but of course, uh, during pandemic, actually, uh, Mexico, uh, there, there was no glass coming into the country. So there was a lot of, um, spirits, uh, held up in shipping yards cause they, they, there was no, there was no glass to, imbo- to, to bottle them. So then, um, Mexico started uh, producing its own gins and rums, you know, using, um, using a lot of Mexican ingredients. So now we, now the, the plethora of, of spirits ha- has grown and basically Mexico is almost self-sufficient in, um, in the spirits that, that we have. So we just, we're constantly just uh, growing our, our, our collection and, and, and just looking for the, the rarest things, you know? So, um, Mexican whiskey is, is a big thing. It's, it's growing in popularity. It's growing. It's, it's getting its respect, uh, its respects in, in, in the world. So I'm starting. So I guess our back bar is starting to grow more on, uh, on the Mexican whiskey side. That's amazing. Yeah, and I can say um, I was recently just doing a big tasting for for us over here at Vine Pair of Rum, 
and I was blown away by the quality of a lot of the uh, the Mexican rums that I'm seeing there, and uh, quite a few from down there in Oaxaca, and just like incredible spirits, really unique kind of profile. I found a lot of them to be kind of a lot of them cane juice based rather than molasses, and but oh, yeah, yeah, just. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of that whole idea of terroir in a sense of place. Yeah, it's really exciting to see that happening. For sure, yeah. And also, I mean, I love tequila. I love mezcal, especially. But uh, nice to kind of break up the monotony, especially of the, the tequila fixation over here with some of those other spirits too. Bacanora, Icea, like you say, you know, definitely categories that, that should stand on their own and folks should do some exploring because those are wonderful drinks. Oh, definitely, definitely. And then and we integrate each and every um, spirit in, in into our cocktail menu. So, and we deliver it in a way that we're celebrating the flavors and and profiles that that grow around around those areas. So, um, yeah, so super excited to like, you know, have you over to come try those spirits out. Yeah, definitely. All right, question number two here for you today: Which ingredient or tool do you believe to be the most undervalued in a bartender's arsenal? Oof, good question. Uh, I would definitely say a nice sharp garnish knife <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know uh do you go down the uh serrated knife route for for garnishes or are you gonna go for that like straight paring knife classic no, definitely straight paring knife definitely straight paring knife and yeah and we, we you know we like to um you know for our twist we we actually cut it out to uh, to actually like um look like a, a lightning bolt so and then we do that on the on the fly so oh nice super super valuable yep mm-hmm. and you know Got to keep those knives sharp. That blunt knife, that'll do more damage than a sharp one, right? Ah, for sure. And it's so frustrating when, when you have like 30 tickets and you got to put out one one lightning bolt uh, wedge and, um, and and it's not sharp. So <laughs> <laughs> Keep those knives sharp, people. Um, all right, Tito, question number three for you today. What's the most important piece of advice you received while working in this industry? Um, yeah, for sure. I guess... Like the most, the times when, when I learned the most about the industry and, and I and I got the best advice was when I was working at uh, Gramercy Tavern in New York City, and basically um, uh, I was told basically that the magic of hospitality is helping people forget the concept of time. You know, like if you're if, if you're in a good place where where you're getting the best service, the best food, and you're only just focused on on the person you're with and 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 the whole experience, you know? And and it's super magical when when you get up and you pay your bill and you get up and like three, three, four hours have gone by and you have like no idea how that happened. Like that's magical to me. So that's something that we that I kinda like I always preach at at, at Rayo and and I kinda like instill that into the team, you know, that we have to keep the magic of 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 time. You know, we have to um make it disappear so that way people could just focus on on the experience and that's it. I love that approach. That that's a really it's the first time I've heard that, you know, that particular approach or kind of definition of hospitality really. But yeah, I think that that really hits home um when thinking about some of the best bar experiences and, and eating experiences I've had, it's just like, yeah, you're in that moment. You're present, right? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> All right, penultimate question for you here today. If you could only visit one last bar in your life, what would it be? Oof, that would definitely be a Carna- Carnaval Bar in Peru. They're actually the, the reason why I'm, I'm, in, I'm in Mexico. I'm living in Mexico, you know, and it was um, throughout when I was exploring still Mexico, uh, I, I actually um, I got to know them in Mexico and they just showed me so much love. And, and I was a big fan of them before they were, you know, on the list and when they were just starting out because I'm from Ecuador and the bar culture, the bar community is, isn't so, wasn't so active back in the days, you know, and they were like the first bar down there 
making noise with a nice program, doing so many things. And it kind of motivated me to like, to grow. And, and then when I finally got to meet them and they were like such amazing people and they were so loving and they were so um, welcoming, you know, and then happened in Mexico. And then I was like listening to the universe and I was like, you know, I, I have to be here. Like, this is magical. So definitely uh, kind of a bar. I love it. That's a wonderful story. All right. Last question for you here today. If you knew that the next cocktail you drank was going to be your last, what would you order or make? All right. Yeah, actually, this, this one, this one uh, is for you. So you're in Puerto Rico, right? So my favorite cocktail. I'm in Puerto Rico, yeah. My favorite cocktail of all time and the last cocktail I will ever have would be the, the, the La Factoria Old Fashioned. It was, um, it's a very, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an old fashioned uh, geek. I'm a nerd. I, I love, I love me an old fashioned. Um, and um, basically the, the old fashioned at, um, at La Factoria is one of the best ones I've, I've, I've ever had. So. It would be it would it would be that and I, and I recommend if you if you have the time definitely make it out there and 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 try one. Yeah, and for those who haven't had that before, can you tell us uh, anything? Maybe just a little bit about their approach to the old fashioned or yeah, how so they're it's, doing that it's, different. It's instead of whiskey, they they're using rum. Um, they make their own bitters using um, angostura and a little bit of fernet, and they use a like an herbal an herbal syrup mm-hmm. uh, for the old fashioned, and it's just. It's one of the best things you'll you you'll you'll, you'll ever try. <laughs> yeah, I'm certainly going to get myself down there um, and talk. You know, talk about people who kind of have done pop ups and takeovers and get around. Carlos and his team there, the, La Factoria, those guys, they, they 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 seem to be everywhere. You know, not just on my Instagram feed, but anytime there's anything happening in New York, Carlos is around. Wonderful personality. We need to get him on the show. It's uh, long overdue. Yeah, they're they're amazing people. Carlos is uh, man, he's amazing, and they're just getting started. Like they're just getting started. They, and they they just celebrated their their ten year, but right now they're they're starting to evolve and take and take La Factoria to the next level. So like I'm super excited. I'm first in line to see like everything that they're doing. I'm excited for them, the whole team, and and that, yeah, they're killing it. They're killing it. That's awesome. Well, Tito, my friend. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure. Un gustazo. <laughs> Thank uh, you so much, man. Thank you so much for having me. Gracias. Thanks, man. Uh, look forward to see you with a carajillo in hand sometime soon in Mexico City. For sure. I'll wait for you there. Cheers. Cheers. Okay. I know what you're thinking, folks. That was a lot of info. But here's the good news. Every single episode of Vinepair's Cocktail College is published on vinepair.com as a transcript. So you can check it out there all over again. If you enjoy listening to the show anywhere near as much as we enjoy making it, go ahead and hit subscribe. And please leave a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts, whether that's Apple, Spotify, or Stitcher. And please tell your friends. Now for the credits. Cocktail College is recorded in New York City and produced by myself and Darby Seaside, who also composed our awesome theme music. Just give that a listen, folks. I also want to give a huge shout out to everyone on the VinePair team, especially co-founders Adam Teeter and Josh Mallon, editor-in-chief Joanna Sherino, and art director Daniel Grinberg, who designed our killer logo. Finally, thank you, listener, for making it this far and for giving this whole thing a purpose. Until next time.